In this week's update, is the US market in a bubble? Critical minerals update, and gold finally breaks out. My name's Gary Davis. As always, this is general advice only, and please remember to like and subscribe to the video. Let's start with the market perspective. What is, what's the position with the US? It's gone up uh, a substantial amount since the lows of late October last year, and it just seems to keep going and going, and, and the Magnificent Seven keep roaring up. And the natural emotional response to that is, well, it's run too far and it's run too fast. So let's have a look at that because the market is responding very heavily to either interest rate cuts or perhaps in an extreme scenario, further interest rate rises. So let's update with what's happening with inflation in the US in the January um, Personal consumption expenditure, PCE, came in at 0.4, which is a key indicator for the Fed. Uh, and that was equal with expectations, but it was the highest in 12 months. So that's just one to watch. And I'm, I'm sure it's one that the Fed is watching as well to um, help them with their, their timing of, uh, of future rate rise adjustments. Now, when you unpack that number a little more, um, services inflation is actually accelerating, which is bad news. Uh, goods deflation, so in other words, the, the, um, the rate at which the, the average price of goods is going down is starting to slow. In other words, it's leveling off. So we've got one part of, of the inflation cake is, is getting bigger faster and the other part is getting lower, slower. So that's not a great dynamic if it continues. And if, and if that were to continue for the next few months, it's hard to see how the Fed can cut rates at all. And the market is pricing in uh, significant rate cuts. Um, four at the moment, as far as most commentators go, and the bond market is saying three. We'll get to that in a minute. So that's that's one to watch. Now it's um, it's just a single data point, so we need uh, we need to see the follow up data. Um, but amongst all this, you've you've really got to forget the logic because the logical conclusion could be well, the Fed's not going to cut rates at all. But the bond market is still saying three rate cuts in 2024. So that's where things stand. That's what the expectations are, and that's what's priced into the market. If there's anything significantly different from that, then the market is either going to rise or fall um, significantly because it's not what's expected. Now, the the run in stocks like Nvidia and Amazon and Meta, etc., the Magnificent Seven continues. Um, but I've got technology bubble in in inverted commas because it's by no means um, certain that there is one. In fact, my conclusion on the next slide is that technology in the US is not in a bubble and therefore at risk of coming to a screeching halt and the market crashing. Now, emotionally, it's easy to conclude that the US is running too hard. You know, that's just how we're wired. Naturally, we're going to default to that position when something has just gone up and up and up in a straight line for a long period of time. Um, but it's what the money flows are actually doing that counts, and that's a key part of this video every Sunday, is looking at what the money flows are actually doing. Now, earnings season 
was pretty good. And the driver around or the, the, the driver for artificial intelligence is, is real, as I've said in previous weeks. There's no hype about it. There's not even particular overvaluation, really, when, when you look out to 2025, which the market is just starting to price in now. Um, so there is, um, there is certainly a very good basis for a lot of technology parts of the US market to continue. And plus, we've now got finally, after several years of uh, significant divergence, we've now got small caps catching up as well. So it really is uh, a pretty good situation in the US at the moment. So let's just look at this technology. Is technology in a bubble uh, thing a little, little more deeply? The things that you need are, um, are some of the following. Yes, sentiment is broadly bullish, um, but it's not overly so compared to, um, to some situations. So that's sort of a, that's a bit of a 50-50. Yes, sentiment is bullish, but there's a lot of reasons why sentiment should be bullish, to be honest. Um, earnings growth rates appear sustainable um, and, and they appear sustainable because they're highly visible. And this is across a wide variety of industry groups, not just technology. Uh, it really spans a, a many, many parts of the US market. So it's that visibility and sustainability that the market has really picked up on. So that says very clearly that technology is not in a bubble when you've got that very visible um, earnings growth rate into the future. Then you look at stock prices relative to their earnings per share growth rates and also relative to interest rates, which probably have peaked. Uh, and if you look over the long term, they're mostly not that high. I mean, the 10-year the yield at just over 4% on a long-term basis is not high at all. And some stock prices are just downright cheap considering their earnings growth rate. And the, and the recent earnings season has shown that those growth rates are, uh, are exceedingly high in some, some circumstances. Another factor that can um, point to a bubble is that inventories, you know, everybody's just got so far ahead of themselves with the expectation of, of um, significant future growth that they've built up their inventories in the supply chains in anticipation of a future bonanza. Well, that's not happening either. There, in fact, it's almost the reverse. You know, there's, there's still in some areas pressure on the supply chain to, um, to meet, uh, meet requirements. So that one is, um, is another cross. And the final one I'll point to is the absence of the sort of euphoric activity that you see when you're getting towards the peak in a bubble. And that is, you see an absolute mountain of IPO activity. Everyone's rushing to float, you know, the latest company on, on some, um, uh, you know, some spurious whim. Um, go back, uh, and we saw that a lot of that in 1998, 1999, leading into the 2000 crash in the NASDAQ. Uh, we saw it uh, pre-2020. Um, and 2021, when there was the evolution of something called the the SPACs, the Special Acquisition Vehicles, which were you know effectively just cash boxes, you know all that sort of really exorbitant 
activity. There's none of that happening at the moment. So when you look at the facts, you can you can maybe sort of half tick one of the box, but you can't tick any of the other boxes in terms of uh, are we in a bubble. So the, the the inevitable conclusion is that we're not, and therefore what is happening in the U.S. market um, can continue. Now we do have a knowledge gap, of course. There's always a knowledge gap. The the key one at the moment is just how much and how quickly will artificial intelligence impact corporate earnings? And the answer to that is no one really knows because it's you know it's a it's a brave new world. It's moving very very quickly. No one knows the answer to that. But intuitively, we know that it's going to be very very significant. We just don't know how much and how fast. But that will be a key one in sustaining the market. So the end result of all this is that the natural easy conclusion to reach, you know, just based on our on our subconscious logic, on our emotional um, thought patterns, is that it's run too far, too fast, and I've missed it. And a lot of people fall into that trap because when you look at the stocks that do very well over long periods of time, they just keep going up and up and up and they run far further than anything than anyone thinks uh, is possible. So I would um, I would counsel against getting caught in that that mindset that I've missed the boat. It's run too far. And you've only got to look at um, at hundreds of American stocks that just keep rising and rising. And yet their valuation or all, all that's happening is the share price is just tracking the growth rate in earnings. They're not getting more and more expensive. You know, they are still attractive. So that's the situation in America. The S&P managed to put on uh, a significant 3.6% across the week um, and gained 5% in February. So it's been a pretty good period. And after a, uh, a very um, strong January, the odds were that we would see February and March, the typical sort of slowdown months, um, give some of that back. Well, not only did that not happen, but it actually accelerated in February. So that really tells you something about how 2024 is um, setting up. And, and I've been saying that since um, late last year. We also saw new record highs on the NASDAQ uh, as well. And there are just so many amazing trends. You know, I'm tracking probably north of 150 stocks in the US. There are just so many incredible trends and so many large revenue and earnings beats amongst those stocks. Now, yes, equally, there were stocks that missed and got absolutely punished. Um, but if you've done your homework and you've done your research and you zeroed in on the stocks that have got visible and sustainable earnings into the future, then um, there, are, there is... Um, just some staggering trends. And there are so many stocks that are justified to trend in that manner. You know, they're not going up on hype. They're not going up on just sheer momentum. They're going up because it's justified on the, the fundamental valuation. The US dollar index hasn't really changed much in the last few weeks. It's still sitting just around about 104. Uh, the 10-year yield was slightly lower, down to 4.18. And the VIX got up into the 14s, but it's back now down into the 13s. So let's take a look at some charts. This is the S&P on a weekly. So 
it's it's gone up. There's only been two weeks since uh, the end of October that have been negative, and they've only been negative by a relatively modest amount. Uh, and this one was only very slight. So it's been an incredible run now for uh, in ex just over four months going up week after week after week. And you've got to step back from that and look at that chart and say, what well, what is doing that? What is causing the chart to go up like that? And, it, and the answer, the obvious answer is, it's institutions that are, that are trying to readjust their position and they can't do it overnight. They've just got to keep buying and buying week after week after week to, um, you know, to get on board the, the train that they should have been on sometime during last year. So that's, um, that's the S&P. Let's look at some of, the, um, some of the key relativities. The NASDAQ versus the S&P is still rising, so the aggressive parts of the market are still being favoured over the defensives. This is one that I've talked about forever. It's a key indicator for me, and just look at how much it accelerated during this period here from May through to January of this year. We had some slight gains in, on a relative basis between semiconductors and the S&P. It was rising, but it was doing so in a fairly begrudging sort of fashion. But look, it's absolutely just rocketed off again and, um, you know, a lot, a lot of this is down to, to NVIDIA, but there's also been other contributors to, uh, to this as well. But that's just such an enormously positive indicator of, of where, the, um, where the money flows are going in the American market. Let's have a look at it on a uh, sector basis. XLC, XLK, um, the, uh, the two key aggressive sectors of the market are leading the way over the last quarter. XLF has done really quite well. So there's been a, a good recovery in the banking system in America, or at least in the majors. Uh, XLV, so healthcare, is also uh, starting to, um, to work its way back towards the top again. Consumer discretionary also influenced, of course, there by Amazon. But we've got materials also improving quite significantly. So that's the last quarter. Let's just zero in on the last month. And we can see that the consumer, consumer discretionary has done the best. Materials have done very well. And of course, technology and, uh, and communication services. So this is all positive money flows in America. And all of this tells me that 2024, there is absolutely no reason why 2024 can't continue in the fashion that it's that it started. Now, we're not going to get 12 consecutive months of gains. That's just completely unrealistic. So there will be a, a period of, of consolidation, of pullback. But from where things look at the moment, the end of the year looks to be higher than where we stand at the moment and possibly significantly higher. Now, if we go to the Australian market, over the last quarter, um, and this is the um, this is the information technology sector, and it's absolutely rocketed off in the last um, the last month or so, and that's largely down to Zero uh, and Life three hundred and sixty and WiseTech Global have contributed very significantly to that. 
And Life360 in the last week, I think it went up something like 35% during uh, last week. So there's been a very significant move there. If we come down into the last month, or actually let's look at the last fortnight, you can see just the incredible move in, uh, in that part of the market. So finance has done well, small caps have done well, and of course information technology, they're the, the leaders in the Australian market, but it's, it's very pleasing to see the small caps starting to pick up now. They're, they've been lagging, you know, whether it's America or Australia or wherever you look, small cap stocks have been shunned for, for three or four years now, and their relative valuation is just about at an all-time low compared to large cap stocks. So eventually everything reverts to the mean and we're starting to see some catch up in small caps now. So that is the American market. Let's look at Australia, our dollar still pretty much doing what the Aussie dollar's doing and just, just sitting there around 64, 65. Our market gained 0.6% uh, across the week. And as I indicated there, it was Infotech and Finance were the big winners. But look, um, small caps have shown some amazing gains year to date. And the portfolios uh, within the Insiders Club have done exceptionally well. So um, that's been very, very pleasing. If we go and have a look now at the Aussie indices, so we've broken out here on the ASX 200 quite clearly. This is a weekly chart, so that was a, a pretty decent week. But if we look at um, if we look at finance, finance certainly has had a very good run over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, healthcare, bit of a pullback, great run here, but bit of a pullback in healthcare. But it's really been the IT sector that's uh, that's done exceptionally well. All right, let's move on now to precious metals because this is a pretty good story as well. Gold up $48 to 208.3 and it's the highest ever closing price, not the highest intraday price because we had that spike last year, uh, that one, one day spike or 12 hour spike, but certainly it's the highest ever closing price. And I've been talking about this now for a few months that gold has been coiling under that resistance level and it would now appear that it's managed, um, managed to break out if we translate that to Australian dollars, it's $3,192, so almost $3,200 uh, Aussie. And um, I'll get to uh, to something which is really interesting in a minute, and that's that uh, stocks are just not reflecting this move in the in the underlying metal. So let's jump in and take a look at at that. We'll look first of all at GDXJ. So this is the basically the global uh, index of uh, of gold stocks, and you can see quite a nice um, quite a nice move on um, on Friday night. But there's no trend; it's just flat sideways. And when you consider that gold has been going up, um, this is pretty pretty drab. And if we go back to let's look at GDX in Australia, so this is really reflecting the Australia, just the Australian gold stocks. That really is very, very sad. We had a bit of a gap up on Friday, but no real volume behind it at all. So that's you know that's a very poor situation with 
the 200-day, all the moving averages are still pointing down and the price is below all of them. So you've got to say that this is still in downtrend. And if we put that on a relative basis, so this is, um, this is GDX against the Australian dollar gold price, not the US, but the Australian dollar gold price. And you can see this is over the last five years. You can see that, you know, by and large, with there's, there's a few exception periods, but by and large, they should track together. If the gold price is going up in Australian dollars, then the value of Australian gold stocks should go up. And that was largely the case until we got to uh, about May last year. And then there's been this incredible divergence where the Australian dollar gold price has risen and all that's happened is the the uh, value of Australian gold stocks has fallen and now we've got this huge divergence not only in direction but in value between what the gold stocks are currently trading at and what the Australian dollar gold price is. Now that doesn't mean that it's got to turn around instantly um, but at some point, we're going to see some mean reversion. And there is certainly a, uh, a very strong case for this gap to close and close very significantly. Now, if we look at, so, let, so that, that begs the obvious question then, what is the value of the Australian gold stocks? Are they now looking really of, of extreme value? And just using Northern Star as an example, and you know, no, no particular reason other than it's just one of our major gold stocks. So if we look at the earnings profile from 2020 to the forecast for 24 and 25, you can see we had a big dip into 2022 and then an even bigger dip into FY23, but then a big surge. So the, the earnings are expected to surge significantly into 24 and then again into 25. Now, that had pushed the P.E. ratio up. This drop in earnings had pushed the P.E. ratio up way beyond where it normally is. So that underperformance by gold stocks was fair enough. And I guess that's because of um, increasing costs in, uh, in particular. But look at where we sit now. If this earnings is achieved for FY24, then that drops that P.E. to 24, which is probably about fair value. But if, if FY25 is achieved, then we're, we're now getting down to levels, particularly with the gold price breaking out, that are really at the bottom end of, uh, of the range. So from a fundamental valuation point, it's, it's building. It doesn't have to reverse now, but it's building. So I think at some point you are going to see Australian gold producers start to play some significant catch up. And they'll be the first ones to, to respond. Um, it will then filter down the line to other, uh, other areas of gold development stocks. But I'd say where we sit at the moment, the risks are more to the upside for gold stocks than they are to the downside. So I think that's pretty clear from this chart. Oh, sorry, I forgot one thing. Let's just go back and have a look at the gold price, of course, in, um, in US dollars. So there's the breakout. This is on a on a daily chart. This was the all-time high that was achieved uh, back in December with that um, roughly 12-hour spike in price that collapsed. 
But the gold price didn't really fall apart. It just spent a bit more time, another couple of months consolidating. But now we've got this very good breakout. And if you look at it on a weekly chart, it's even more, more obvious. So we're sitting about the middle of the channel. There's plenty of room now that gold's broken out for this um, to accelerate to the upside. And that was a pretty big move on Friday. So it may well be if it's um, if it's like normal that we'll now start to get all the people that have been sitting on the fence wondering whether gold was going to break out or not are, um, are now going to start to, to join into that momentum. So that's gold. Something has to give in, the, in gold. Either the gold price has got to fall and that last chart does not suggest that at all. In fact, it suggests very strongly quite the opposite. And so therefore, gold stocks uh, have got to play some significant catch up. Turning to other commodities, copper, uh, pretty much level 386. Nickel, however, did improve from the low sevens to the high sevens. So is that a recovery? Oh, look, I, I don't know. It's I, I guess where I'm sitting with nickel is that Indonesia has distorted the market in such a way that it's hard to feel confident about where the nickel price is going or where the price of nickel stocks are going. And so I just don't play. If, if I don't feel confident about how things are unfolding, then I just go and work in another area. So I'm just dismissing nickel stocks at the moment and all talk of you know, this might happen or that might happen. BHP may or may not close their WA operations or someone might do this or that. It's all conjecture and you, should, you can't be in, investing on conjecture. So I'd rather just leave the sector alone and go where I have far greater levels of confidence. Crude oil was also higher to almost 80. And we'll look at that chart in just a minute. Other commodities, let's look at lithium. Uh, the lithium carbonate futures are on the rise. Um, some of the fundamentals have shifted. We're seeing, uh, we're seeing mines being shut down in, in China or restricted in China on environmental grounds. Um, so there's been an, a definite improvement. Now, whether it's sustainable or not, again, who knows at this stage. But stocks have started rebounding. Now, the big question is, is this just... a a temporary short squeeze where everyone has temporarily gone to the the shorters have gone to the buy side just to readjust their position or is it a sustainable reversal and the answer is at this stage no one knows because short sellers are a pretty unpredictable band of um, of people so it, it's it's impossible to know but certainly there is there is enough evidence that we could have seen the bottom in lithium and we could have seen the bottom in um, in rare earths and graphite as well. Just on uranium, uh, uranium was trading around 106. We've, we've now down to the mid 90s. So that's been a, a bit of a, a big step change there in uranium. And that's caused a bit of a, a consolidation in the uranium stocks as well. There's the spot nickel price. You can see quite a sharp recovery in the last uh, couple of weeks. And there's the crude oil chart shooting back up to uh, to 80. So wrapping things up, trying to pick the top in stocks or in indices in a bull market is really a pretty dumb thing to try and do because 
the, the overwhelming likelihood is it's going to get you out way too early and you're going to leave a lot of money on the table. So the approach that I've been advocating for a long time is just find the most justifiable stocks, the stocks that are justified to go up and keep rising for years to come. And, if, and there, there are plenty of them. There are more than enough for anyone's portfolio. So just go and work with those. You know, these thoughts of diversifying your portfolio across all sectors to manage risk is just complete rubbish. Find the most justifiable stocks and uh, have a clear plan for their purpose. Are you owning them for the long term, three to five years? Are you owning them for the shorter term? Are you trading them? Are you using stop losses? You know, just a few simple a few simple rules around around the purpose and don't you know don't chop and change the purpose according to what the price does you know we're seeing lots of strange price movements at the moment over the short term where the actual business is going ahead great guns and will almost certainly continue to go ahead for the future so why worry about short-term price movements and then manage risk well let the market not your emotions, show you where the significant reversal points are because the good stocks will run further than you could possibly think possible. So just let them go until the market tells you that it's the time to do so. Portfolio Analyst last week was a week of rest and recuperation for yours truly. But um, next week we've got taking stock, we'll highlight um, numerous excellent gainers which have been highlighted in Portfolio Analyst over the last um, month. Um, but where the real action is, is I've got to say, is in the Insiders Club. The portfolios there are doing, uh, are doing exceptionally well. Um, and um, we, would, um, we would encourage you, if you haven't looked at Portfolio Analyst trial, then um, take that trial for a couple of weeks for $1.00. And, uh, and I think you'll get a lot of very valuable insight and information. That's it for this week. I'll be back with you next Sunday. Cheers.